Good afternoon. Welcome to, welcome to the CAPS Center, uh, the CAPS Forum on Ethics. This is an ongoing series, a uh, lecture series, where we invite undergraduates from various disciplines to meet with uh, distinguished speakers. Um, today, in addition to my class on uh, diversity and justice, um, Dr. Barbosa has graciously uh, accepted an invitation from her class on uh, democracy and diversity. Um, today we're extremely lucky and fortunate to have uh, Kevin Johnson um, come down and chat with us. Uh, uh, Kevin Johnson is, of course, the uh, dean of the UC Davis Law School. He's the Mapi Apollos Professor of Public Interest Law um, and a professor of Chicano Chicano Studies. Um, in, as in keeping with um, our lecture series, uh, 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 Kevin Johnson is also an um, alumni of the UC system. He did his uh, BA in economics at UC Berkeley. I don't think they called him dean back then. Um, he went on to do his JD, uh, magnum cum laude, at uh, Harvard Law School, where he also served as an editor on the distinguished uh, Harvard Law Review. Um, dean Johnson is a nationally respected uh, scholar in civil rights, Chicano, Chicano studies, and immigration law. Um, amongst other things, uh, uh, Dean Johnson has uh, served as a senior immigration advisor to President Obama during his candidacy. Um, amongst the, the books that uh, Dean Johnson has written include How Did You Get to Be Mexican? A White Brown Man's Search for Identity, The Huddled Masses Myth, Immigration and Civil Rights, Understanding Immigration Law, Mexicans, Mexican-Americans, and U.S. Immigration Law, and most recently, his most recent book, Opening the Floodgates, Why America Needs to Rethink Its Borders in Immigration Laws. Um, let's, uh, we'll, we'll leave at least uh, 30 minutes for uh, question and discussion, but in the meantime, if you would please uh, graciously welcome Dean Johnson. Thank you very much. Thanks for that kind and overly generous introduction. Um, I'm very happy to be here. I, I'm very pleased to visit UC Santa Barbara. Uh, and I'm going to give you all a test at the end of the hour. Uh, and the test will be, what can I so tell my son Tomas uh, that he should know about UC Santa Barbara? Because he's going to come here next year. Um, so um, uh, and he's looking forward very much to being away from his mom and dad uh, and, and attending school uh, as well. Um, but I'm also very pleased to talk about immigration at the Walter Capps Center for the Study of Ethics, Religion, and Public Life. Uh, and I want to thank uh, Professor Jarrett, Professor Barbosa, for allowing me this time with our students. Uh, and I want to thank uh, Dr. Wallach for arranging uh, th this visit in, in my talk. And I'm going to talk today uh, about immigration uh, in, in a book that I wrote 
um, entitled uh, Opening the Floodgates, Why America Needs to Rethink Its Borders and Immigration Laws. And, and uh, this is a copy of it. I think this is, my, uh, this is the only one that exists, apparently. I don't know if anybody's buying it at popular bookstores everywhere. Um, but I've been talking about it even, even, even so. And, and what, what I want to talk about today is a little bit about the current debate about immigration and some of my thoughts about how we might address some of those issues. And I've thought about them. You'll hear my, my, my thoughts and ideas, and you'll think, gosh, that guy's not very practical. Um, but, but also, my, my ideas were really formed um, in part from the work that I did with Senator Obama's campaign when we were thinking hard about immigration, but also in connection with work that I've done for a number of years with the Mexican-American Legal Defense and Education Fund. I was on their board of directors and have worked with them uh, talking about and thinking about and strategizing about, strategizing about litigation to, to, to help immigrants. Uh, so so I, I really have tried to be connected with the real world, although you may doubt that by the end of my talk today. Um, now, now, over the last few years, I've had a chance to, to give talks across the country about immigration, immigration reform, and what's going on with our immigration laws. And, and I can say this uh, with, with some degree of certainty. Wherever you go, whether it's Atlanta, Georgia, New, New, New Orleans, Louisiana, Dallas, Texas, Bloomington, Indiana, um, or San Diego, California, or Tempe, Arizona, uh, this is a very hot issue, uh, a very difficult issue, an issue w on which tempers sometimes flare and people have very different points of view. Uh, and Now, I think it's... It's a hot topic, but also a very important topic, uh, because I think some of the issues raised by immigration, the way this nation treats immigrants, uh, really are some of the most important civil rights issues that we're going to deal with for the entire 21st century. Uh, and so it's, for me, it's a, it's a civil rights concern. It's, it's, it's a very difficult one uh, as well. Uh, and as a legal and political matter, uh, immigration is very complex, very difficult. And if you hear anybody me or anybody say immigration's an easy issue, um, I, I would pause. Uh, and if they try to use catchphrases and buzz lines like, what part of illegal don't you understand, uh, they're probably hiding more than they're telling, because uh, it's a very difficult issue. Legally, immigration law is as complicated as any body of law you can imagine. The Immigration Nationality Act, which is the comprehensive immigration statute, is hundreds of pages long. Very difficult. Some people have said it's only rivaled by the Internal Revenue Code for its complexity and difficulty. And that's a pretty hard one, uh, the Internal Revenue Code. Uh, politically, immigration is not a straightforward issue. It's not a red state, blue state, Democrat, Republican issue. There are Democrats who want to cl close the borders. There are Democrats who want to liberalize immigration. There are Republicans who want to close the borders. There are Republicans who want to liberalize immigration. Um, in fact, in some ways, um, um, I, I think I had, with respect to immigration, more in common with President Bush, who was, who, who was very interested in um, labor migration uh, and, and facilitating the migration of labor to this country. I had much more in common with President Bush than I did with President Clinton, who was one of the toughest presidents on immigration in United States history. Although generally, I think it's probably fair to say, and most people would say, that I, I tend to be more Democratic in my leadings than Republican in my leadings. But when it comes to immigration, it's not really that straightforward of an issue. Um, now, as, as I mentioned a minute ago, immigration isn't just something that relates to California and the Southwest. It's something that's touching the entire country. 
In part, that is because immigrants now are settling in places we didn't see them so much in the past. They're settling in places like Postville, Iowa, uh, where the largest raid in United States history took place a little over uh, a year ago uh, in a poultry processing plant uh, in, in a small rural, rural area. Uh, the, the, the state that saw the largest increase in, in Latino population uh, the last 20 years was Arkansas, in part because so many immigrants moved to Arkansas to work in the poultry and meatpacking industry. Uh, South Carolina, um, huge increase in immigrant population. Georgia, um, huge increase in immigrant population. Uh, and, and so it's, it's an issue across the country. Actually, after Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans, um, uh, and uh, there was an um, effort to um, rebuild the region. There were many immigrants, immigrant workers. Uh, in fact, uh, many uh, laws, immigration and other laws, were suspended while they were trying to attract workers to help rebuild the Gulf. Um, so, so today we see immigration um, uh, in, in many states that we didn't previously see them, and we see reactions in many states we didn't see uh, reactions to immigrants in. Oklahoma passed a, 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 its own immigration statute, kind of like Arizona's, uh, designed to, to um, sort of chase away undocumented immigrants. Uh, it was struck down by a federal court like many of the other laws. Um, a, a town called Hazleton, Pennsylvania, a small rural community um, uh, that had seen an increase in immigrant immigration over the last 20 years, they passed their own local ordinance that would have barred um, landlords from renting to undocumented immigrants and barred local businesses from employing undocumented immigrants. Uh, that law actually was also struck down. But the, the idea that state and local governments like Oklahoma, like Hazleton, Pennsylvania, like the state of Arizona, which you probably heard about, are passing these laws, gives you an idea uh, how it's not just something in California or Texas uh, or anything in the Southwest. Um, now, one of the things I like to do in talking about immigration is sort of review some basic facts that are really hard to dispute um, when, when, you, when you think about, particularly when you think about undocumented immigration. Um, and, and some of them will seem stupid to you, uh, and, um, but I just want to make sure we're kind of on the same page when we talk about undocumented immigration, because lots of time when people talk about it, they're, they're not very certain on the facts. And I think it's important to, to outline really it's some of the undisputed ones. Um, fact number one, this is one of, you'll think is stupid. Uh, we have a lot of undocumented immigrants who live in the United States. Uh, they live here, they work here, and the best estimates are that there's somewhere between 10 and 11 million undocumented immigrants who live and work in the United States. Uh, not a huge portion of the population, but a significant part of the labor force. Not, not, not one or two, but we're talking millions of people. And of the 11 and 12 million, 60% uh, um, of them roughly come from Mexico. Uh, and uh, the, the, over the last 20 years, we've seen basically a doubling of the undocumented immigrant population in the United States. It's leveled off a little bit with the recession. Um, but in 1994, um, uh, there was roughly 5 to 6 million undocumented immigrants in the United States. Uh, in 2011, there's roughly double that, 10, 10 to 11, 11 to 12 million. Um, and, and that's true. That increase, the doubling over the last 15 years is, is true, despite the fact that there's, there's more enforcement, uh, there's more deportations, there's more immigrant detention, uh, there are more Border Patrol officers along the border. 
Uh, and um, we took some extraordinary steps after September 11th to truly try to close off undocumented migration. Still, we've seen a doubling of the population. Second basic fact is, and this is something that the social science research proves um, pretty definitively, and that is that undocumented immigrants come and stay in the United States because of jobs. They come here to work. They don't come here necessarily, sometimes they do commit crimes, I'm not saying they don't, but they don't come here to, to have anchor babies, quote, anchor babies, uh, to, to take public benefits from American citizens, to engage in crime waves, uh, to engage in terrorism. You know, the evidence is pretty clear that you know, the, the 11 to 12 million undocumented immigrants, they come here, they stay here because they can get jobs here. Uh, so they come here, come here to work. Fact number three, and this is a technical legal fact, but it's an important one if you're thinking about border enforcement. There are two types of undocumented immigrants. There are people who enter without inspection. Those are the people who evade the border patrol. Uh, they, you know, if you were thinking about California, they're the people who um, don't go to the port of entry and go through the mountains and desert, uh, sneak across the border, you might say. Um, that's about half the undocumented immigrant population in the United States. The other half the undocumented immigrant population are those people who came here legally. They came here on a student visa, on a business visa, or a tourist visa, and then they overstayed. They just decided, gosh, for whatever reason. It could be they decided, well, I'm going to stay here. I like it here. Or they could have you know, fell in love, got married, so they're going to stay here, got a job. They wanted, for whatever reason, they, they overstayed the terms of their visa, and they're undocumented. They don't have the proper paperwork. They entered legally but then they stayed illegally, you might say. Why is that important? Well, that's important because if you're really worried about undocumented immigration, you have to deal with not just the people who enter without inspection, um, you also have to deal with people who overstay their visas. You have to try to find those people who are overstaying their visas if you want to deal with half of the problem. So if you're interested in public policy, in effective public policy, you have to realize that building a bigger border fence or bolstering the border with more people with, with more arms or drones, actually the latest news is they're using drones along the U.S.-Mexico border, it just started this week. Um, if, if you're only focusing on the, on the border, you're only going to focus on half, half the problem, people who enter without inspection. You're not going to focus on the overstays. Um, so if you're really worried about undocumented immigration, you have to focus on the entire problem. Fact number four, and this is another obvious one. Most people think that the current immigration system uh, is um, broken, to use the president's words. It's just not working effectively. Uh, and I, can, I could go over all the problems with the current system. We have a, a large undocumented population. Lots of people are violating the law. Um, we have human trafficking, people who are paying smugglers to bring them to the United States and sometimes are exploited themselves in, 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 in horrible ways. Uh, we have uh, something that happens every day. We can count on one a day, uh, deaths on the border. Uh, we have people who, while trying to evade inspection in places like San Ysidro near San Diego um, or uh, El Paso, are going through the desert and mountains where they're more likely to die and where people do die on a regular basis, an average of one a day since 1994. 
So we have thousands of people who have died since then. We have a very significant problem also with the exploitation of undocumented workers. We have a horrible system in this country where there's people who work in, the, in, in one labor market, undocumented workers, who are paid less than the minimum wage all too often, are, work in substandard condition, conditions in violation of the law, and are take, just basically taken advantage of. And 60, 60% or more of the people who fall in that exploited labor market are from Mexico or Central America. So you have a racial caste quality to the mar- labor market that's being exploited. Some would call it, some have called it, a new Jim Crow. You have another labor market for citizens and legal immigrants where minimum wage laws are, are observed, where condition protections are observed, things like that. But some would say the labor exploitation in the current system, immigration system, is simply unacceptable. Since so many people think that there are problems with the current immigration system, for many, we're talking roughly, you know, a decade or more now, there's been talk of what people call comprehensive immigration reform. Uh, and again and again, and I could go over, and if you ask me questions later, I can you know, talk a little bit about what's been going on in Congress over the last 10 years. <coughs> there's been talk of, but ultimate failure of, immigration reform. There's been no major changes to the immigration laws in the last 10 years. It, There's some tinkering at the margins, but nothing major. There's been some discussion uh, of the DREAM Act, which would benefit undocumented (coughs) students who attend college. That hasn't passed, uh, and no other immigration reform of of um, far-reaching changes has passed. When when people talk about comprehensive immigration reform, they're usually talking about some kind of bill that includes three rough components. One of them is some kind of guest worker program, bringing guest workers to this country, allowing them to stay and work, and then when their work's no longer needed, having them leave the country. Guest worker programs are designed to be temporary. Um, And they're controversial for a lot of reasons. Some people would say, gosh, how moral is it to allow people to come uh, and then once you, you use up their labor, make them go? Uh, others would say, um, does it really make sense to have a guest worker program given that the most, some, you know, I have a colleague at UC Davis who says this, the most permanent thing is a guest worker. Um, because guest workers come and people are people. They do things like they establish community ties, they may get married, they may have relationships, they may have children. Uh, they do all those things that people do And they might say, gosh, I came here as a guest. Are you really going to make me leave? It's very hard to enforce that guest worker program once people do those kinds of things. You might say, well, who cares? But it's it's really difficult to tear people from their their roots once they've established them and they want want to stay. Um, The the, the other sort of complaints about guest worker programs is, gosh, we had experience with them in the United States from World War II until the early 1960s, we had a program called the Bracero Program. Uh, And the Bracero Program was great in terms of getting Mexican workers temporarily in the United States, Um, but it was really bad when it came to enforcing wage and labor protections that were designed to protect those workers. So what happened is employers got got the workers, 
but the workers didn't get as much as they were supposed to get. And actually, even though the program ended in 1964, I think it was, uh, there were still lawsuits pending in just a few years ago about some of the money that the guest workers were supposed to get uh, and, and never did get. Um, so, so we've had some spotty results when it comes to guest worker programs. But that's, that's one part of comprehensive immigration reform. Another part is, uh, you might call it something different depending on your political persuasion. Um, some people would call it an amnesty for illegals. Uh, others would call it a, an earned legalization program. Uh, and that is some kind of program that allows uh, undocumented immigrants who've been in the country for a certain period of time, who've paid a penalty, paid any, any back taxes they owed to, to get their immigration status regularized, to become legal. That's a very controversial uh, per component. It's very important to people who want immigration reform, big supporters of immigration reform. It's much opposed by people who aren't necessarily interested in benefiting undocumented immigrants in any way. Um, it is amazing to me how um, tough the rhetoric is on, you know, on legalization programs. Uh, and you've heard some of it probably. Um, you know, I'm against amnesty because what part of illegal don't you understand? Um, but what's amazing to me is that that when it comes to amnesty for undocumented immigrants, uh, people, um, ha some people have a very strong negative reaction. But when it comes to amnesties for, you know, for back taxes or parking tickets or guns or a lot of other things that there are amnesties for, um, nobody gets quite as excited. Um, people like it when they, there's tax amnesty, for example, or they can go down in, actually it happened in Los Angeles not that long ago, where people could turn in uh, guns that were not registered and no questions were asked. Um, but when it comes to amnesty for undocumented immigrants, it's a very controversial issue. And the third sort of part of comprehensive immigration reform is uh, more enforcement. More, more enforcement, more Border Patrol officers, more raids in workplaces, more paperwork checking, and more deportations of people. Uh, and, and that's probably the most popular part of any comprehensive immigration reform proposal. Uh, many citizens, uh, many voters, many politicians like the idea of more enforcement. Uh, and in fact, this administration uh, has greatly ramped up immigration enforcement in recent years. The Obama administration has said, if we want comprehensive immigration reform, we have to show the American people that we're willing to enforce our immigration laws, and so we're going to really ramp up enforcement. So for the last, well, for the first two full years of, of the Obama administration, each year uh, the administration has deported more immigrants than any administration in the United States history. Last year was about 400,000 uh, immigrants who were deported. We are detaining more immigrants than any time in the United States history. We are uh, uh, sending more Border Patrol officers along the border than any time in the United States history. Uh, we are, and actually last spring the president deployed, I think it was more symbolic than anything else, but in southern Arizona he deployed the National Guard uh, to help patrol the border. <laughs> Uh, so what, what we've seen with, with President Obama is just more and more enforcement with a promise. His promise, and he, and he says he's going to keep his word, is that at some point Congress will pass uh, comprehensive immigration reform. But to this point, n nothing much has happened. Now, when, when you talk about reform, you have to think a little bit, well, what, what does our current law do? 
what do our current immigration laws do? And I'll, and I'll tell you uh, a little bit. As I mentioned before, they're very complex. Um, but our immigration laws um, try to limit and try to restrict who can come to the United States. They're very narrow. You have to fall into a small category uh, to, to be able to come to this country. There, there, there are family visas, and the easiest way to come to the United States is if you marry a U.S. citizen. Um, and, but there, there are other family visas. Uh, they are limited in number. Um, there are some employment visas, but not very many. Uh, if you're Paul Gasol and want to play for the Lakers, it's easy to come from Spain to come play for the Lakers. Uh, if you're a sheet metal worker from Zacatecas, a moderately skilled worker, there's, unless you have a family member, there's no legal way to come to the United States. For the most part, there are very few immigrant visas for people with low skills or medium skills. Uh, the immigration laws, in fact, try to keep those people out, tries to keep out low-skilled and medium-skilled workers. So, so, and that's where you see a large percentage of the undocumented population coming here to work in low- and medium-skilled jobs. Now, some would say, well, they should wait in line like everybody else. That's sort of the common sort of you know, response. After somebody says, what part of the illegal don't you understand? Well, they should wait in line like everybody else. Well, for them, low- and medium-skilled workers who don't have family members, there's no line for them to wait in. There's no legal way for them to come to the United States unless they were engaged in some kind of you know, marriage fraud or something. Um, but otherwise, there's no legal way for them to come. So currently, I think that one of the big problems with our immigration laws is that they are separate and apart and don't consider sort of the economic realities uh, of the job market in the United States. Until we have a system where it makes it easier for low- and medium-skilled workers to come and work, we're going to have a kind of system that we, current, that we have with a large undocumented population. That's true even if you suppose tomorrow Congress passes comprehensive immigration reform and legalizes 10 to 11 million people. If you have the current immigration laws still in place, 10, 20, 30 years from now, you're going to still have, you're going to have a, a undocumented population that's grown over time because um, the job market is still demanding more low- and medium-skilled workers. So I think that really if you want to um, you know, deal with undocumented immigration, you have to deal with the fact that it's a labor migration. People are coming here for jobs. You can see them waiting in line for jobs if you go to a Home Depot and day laborers are often waiting there to get picked up for the day. Um, but you can, you can go in Los Angeles, go along Sawtell Boulevard in the west side. Um, day laborers waiting to get picked up for work. A lot of them, not all of them, undocumented, but, but a lot undocumented. So what I talk about in the book is, is changing the immigration laws so that you make it easier for workers to migrate to the United States legally. Uh, and the presumption would be that you can enter the United States as opposed that you under the current laws, you should be denied entry to the United States. Uh, it would make it much easier for people to come. Uh, at the same time, I would argue that you should focus on true criminals and security risks. We currently have a system where we try to keep everybody out. It doesn't do a very good job. Uh, if we had a system that focused on true dangers to um, the public safety, um, then we might do a better job of keeping out dangers to the public safety. Um, I don't argue that we should open the borders. We should have border checkpoints, but we should make it much easier for people to immigrate legally to this country. Now, 
the, some of the obvious problems or objections you might make. Um, you know, you're going you're gonna to open the floodgates to people the world over, and they're just going to flood the country. Well, I don't think that's necessarily the case, but if you're really worried about numbers of people, maybe in having a more liberal system, you, you set a reasonable limit every year until you're comfortable with the number of people who might come. But the truth of the matter is people don't tend to move uh, unless the economic circumstances are very dire uh, or, or the differences between where they are and where they could go in the United States is, is so great. Um, I was in Mississippi a few summers ago, uh, and it, it's, it's very poor. Uh, it's very humid in the summer. Uh, but most Mississippians stay in Mississippi. Uh, you, you could say, why don't they come to Santa Barbara? It's beautiful. The weather's good. There's plenty of jobs, and it's not humid. Most, most people don't migrate. Most you know, economists will tell you that you know, 95% of the world dies within 100 miles where it was born. We're, we're, we're all different in that way, but most of the world doesn't leave. Uh, so so I, I guess since you know, I, I wouldn't worry so much about this you know, opening the floodgates like some people, but if you're, if you're also worried about that, you can look at other historical experiences. Puerto Rico. Um, many Americans don't know, but everybody born on the island of Puerto Rico is a U.S. citizen. Uh, the the um, overall standard of living, if you measure it economically, is much lower in Puerto Rico uh, than in the mainland. Um, um, beautiful, beautiful island, wonderful in many ways. Um, but, you know, even the public benefits, the welfare that's available in Puerto Rico is less than the welfare in the mainland. Um, but every Puerto Rican, if they wanted to, uh, they could, if, well, if they could find a plane, could jump on a plane to New York City tomorrow. Because they're all U.S. citizens. They can all leave the island. But most Puerto Ricans stay in Puerto Rico. And they do it for, you know, love of, 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 of the, the land, the place, the culture, uh, and, and all kinds of things. Um, look at the European Union. When the European Union was being formed, um, Germany and France were, were um, um, very worried that there's going to be a flood of people from Portugal and Spain leaving for better opportunities in, in, in France and Germany. And actually, they were even more afraid uh, that France and Portugal were going to be places where North Africans were going to come through and go into, to, to, to France and Germany. Um, uh, what happened in the end is that there, there was some movement within the European Union while some workers moved from, you know, from Portugal and Spain into other nations, and, and actually some out of Germany and France. Um, but there weren't any mass migrations. There were some population adjust, adjustments. Uh, and actually, most people look at the European Union in many respects as a big success when it comes to integration of economies and labor markets as well. But I, I, so I, I think if you look at you know, the, what's happened in the world historically, you could say, gosh, if we make things more liberal, not everybody's going to come. Most Mexicans would prefer to stay in Mexico, frankly, if they could economically. Um, but that's not always possible. Um, another concern you might have with a more liberal admission system is, gosh, national security, it's, we, 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 have a, um, you know, we have a war on terror. Maybe that's over. Maybe it's not. I don't know. Uh, we'll have to wait and see. Um, but but my, my view is that um, having the system we currently have is very insecure. Having 12 million people living off the books that aren't part of any computer system uh, of coming, entering or leaving the country uh, is, 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 is not necessarily a safe thing. Uh, that if you're really interested in national security, having as many people go through and enter the country legally uh, as possible is better as opposed to people 
living off the books. Uh, the, actually, the, the, other, the other thing people often forget is that um, when it comes to the, the hijackers of September 11th, they all entered legally. Some of them may have become undocumented because they overstayed their visas, but they entered legally. Um, they came through legal channels, and we were so unfocused on you know, what, who were the true dangers to our society that even after they died, our Immigration and Naturalization Service um, renewed their visas by mail uh, and allowed them to stay. That's why we no longer have the Immigration and Naturalization Service, and we have a Department of Homeland Security. Uh, it was kind of embarrassing, uh, that kind of paperwork error. Um, but I think that if you're more focused on who you're trying to, to keep out of the country, you might do a better job about keeping out true dangers to society. Um, so, you know, th- that, that's why I've, I've argued for a more, more liberal immigration system. And I'll tell you, in part, also what was motivating me as, as well. Um, I asked myself, what kind of law is enforceable? We currently don't have an immigration law that is enforceable. It reminds me of prohibition. The anti-alcohol laws, you know, uh, were imposed... They weren't enforceable, um, and they led to all kinds of bad things like you know, criminal activity, uh, uh, violence, problems in the court system. We have a system now where many otherwise law-abiding citizens violate the immigration laws. We, 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 we make them criminals in some ways, uh, but in, in many ways they're just um, the employers. They're just you know, trying to, 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 to do their business. The employees just trying, trying to work. Um, but you have to think about what is enforceable, and the current, current system isn't. You also have to think, well, what kind of system is good for the United States? And I think you can make some very strong economic arguments why uh, increased labor migration is good for the United States. If you want to ask me questions about some of the costs, I'd be happy to answer that. But I, I think if you, 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 most economists would tell you that immigration has been a boon to the American economy time and time again. There are some costs, and I don't mean to minimize those, um, but... but Overall, immigration has been, been a big benefit. Third thing I, I thought about, what kind of immigration system is consistent with our constitutional and moral traditions? Um, and, and I would say that, uh, I, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying the Constitution requires there to be open borders, because I'm not saying that. But we do have a Constitution that tends to be protective of individual rights, uh, and we have an immigration system that basically denies any rights to entry. Uh, And I'd say that if you're devoted to liberal theory, a theory of rights, uh, you should look more carefully at the right to travel, the right to enter, and and things like that. And in my estimation, it's hard to to reconcile sort of a liberal theory of rights with closed borders, denying all rights. And that's kind of how a law operates. But I also think we should think about the moral consequences of our current laws. We have people who are exploited, in part because of their immigration status and their race. We have people dying on the border. Um, We have detention um, uh, of immigrants, um, sometimes lengthy detentions, uh, months and months, uh, sometimes years and years. Uh, We have a a current system that has many, what I would say, moral, negative moral consequences. Consequences that we're going to look at, I think, 10, 20, 30 years from now and say, what the heck were they thinking? Uh, People are dying. They're not doing anything. Uh, People are getting arrested because they're they're Arab or Muslim. Um, What's going on there? Um, It's a lot easier to sort of condemn something 
historically, we all look at the internment and say, gosh, what was going on during World War II? How could those Californians do that? Well, those Californians did that uh, in the United States as a whole. Uh, but let me stop there, because I, I do want to take questions, comments, thoughts, tomatoes, whatever, whatever you, you have to offer, um, because um, uh, I know this is an issue that, that you know, it's a hot one. I talked too long. There wasn't, I mean, yeah, that's a good, that, that, what happened at the European Union is initially, um, it's called the European Economic Community, and they only allowed for the, the free trade of goods and services. Over time, as the relationship developed, uh, they decided to, cr to change the name to the European Union and to allow the migration of labor between all the member nations. But there, was, there weren't any mass migrations. There were some people who moved, but nothing that rearranged all of Europe uh, in, a, in a way that Germany, Germany and France particularly feared. In fact, um, there were very few Portuguese and Spaniards who moved out of Portugal and Spain uh, for the same reasons that Puerto Ricans stay in Puerto Rico. Um, they, you know, but, but there was a great fear. And now you see that fear... Uh, talked about uh, concretely when it comes to a potential new member of the European Union, Turkey. Uh, and, the, and the fear is that, gosh, if we, if we allow these Turks to migrate within the European Union, there's going to be a mass migration out of Turkey. And so probably what will happen uh, is there'll be some numerical limit set on how many, how many Turks can settle in the various EU nations until people become more comfortable with it. But that's actually I'm going to be talking at a conference Friday on... Um, you know, Turkey in the EU and Mexico in the United States comparing uh, immigration um, patterns and, and issues. Um, but, but I think that's, you know, we, we saw the same when Romania and Bulgaria became members of the EU, uh, same kind of concerns. Um, so so the, these, the, these floodgates concerns exist that if you, you know, let the barriers down, there'll be a flood of people. But so far, we haven't seen them realized. Uh, we want to get your questions. We have a microphone going around, so I was just wondering what kind of economic reasons that you know of both for and against the argument for immigration, sure. what they're using currently to boost or kind of set back their arguments. And there's a lot. I have, a, I have a chapter in the book. Let me try to sort of summarize them. Economists will tell you overall that immigration is a benefit to the economy and is, is, is led to economic growth. And actually, Alan Greenspan in the 1990s uh, he was the chair of the Federal Reserve Board, attributed the, the, the incredible economic growth during the 1990s with low inflation to immigrant labor helping and benefiting the economy. Now, there's some cost um, to, to um, immigrant labor uh, and immigrants, and, and some of those costs are borne um, by the most vulnerable in American society. Um, to the extent that you have undocumented immigrants coming to the United States, uh, they tend to compete uh, most directly with um, the lowest skilled in the American economy. Uh, so the, and, and there have been a number of studies showing that um, Americans without high school diplomas uh, do suffer uh, some decline in their wages due to immigration. But the, the cost is relatively small, maybe 1% to 3%. Um, it, I'm not saying that's irrelevant. 
In fact, the most vulnerable, you should, you should really try to make sure that they are protected. Um, the, the question is, if you're worried about that, if you're worried about the impacts on, on low-skilled American workers, my response would be, well, what you should focus on is investing in education uh, so that they're not, you know, you, you, you decrease the size of your unskilled, you know, your high school, um, people don't get high school degrees. And I'd also say that you enforce the minimum wage and you know, scales in, in an effective way. And if you're worried about wages, you're worried about labor, then address labor and wage issues. The other, and actually where that issue comes up most controversially, uh, some people like Lou Dobbs and Patrick Buchanan has said, have said on a number of occasions that, that uh, African Americans are hurt by immigration. Um, and they're hurt by immigrants, and that black people should, um, should, should resist uh, liberalizing immigration. Uh, it seems odd to me that Lou Dobbs and Patrick Buchanan rarely talk about the rights of African Americans, but when it comes to immigration, they do. Um, so I, I guess I'm a little dubious about their concern. But, but to the extent that you know, I, I understand that you, you, you have that concern, and I am worried about the most vulnerable people in, in the labor market, I would say that you should try to protect them like you should pr protect all workers uh, as opposed to close the borders. Because a lot of times there may be some issues. Um, and then the question is, what are the, the, the responses? Closing the borders is not necessarily possible, feasible, uh, or, or manageable. Uh, but enforcing wage and labor laws certainly would make some more sense. Um, another economic issue, and this is a huge one, is that... Um, uh, state and local governments do um, suffer or see increased costs due to immigrants who settle in their community. Uh, one of the biggest costs is uh, K through 12 education. The U.S. Supreme Court in a 1982 case held that you can't deny undocumented children access to the public schools. Um, the problem is uh, the state and local governments, especially in these times of tight budgets, uh, are having a hard time funding the public schools. Uh, at the same time, there are tax revenues and other revenues going to the federal government from undocumented immigrants. Actually, most people don't realize, but about half the undocumented immigrants in the United States uh, file a tax return every year. Uh, and, they, and they do so because the word's out in the community that if you don't file a tax return, you're never going to be, be able to get legal. Uh, and so they file their tax return every year. You can f use a tax identification number and file a tax return. Uh, and if you're, un if, if you're an immigrant, you're not eligible for many what are called tax benefits that other Americans are eligible for, things like the earned income tax credit, things like that. So billions of dollars go into the you know, federal tax coffers. Actually, the other place that people don't realize is that uh, if you're undocumented and you're working on a, on, a, on a fake Social Security number, money's being deducted from your check and taken by a system that you're never going to collect benefits from because they don't even know your name. You're just using somebody else's Social Security number. So billions of dollars go to the Federal Social Security Administration to help, and it, and it helps keep it afloat. Now, the, the two agencies, there's, there's two agencies in the federal government that never ask for immigration status uh, of anybody that they deal with. One of them is the Internal Revenue Service, um, because they get the tax returns, they get the money. And the other is the Social Security Administration, because they get the money. Uh, and so, um, but there's billions of dollars that go to the federal government, and there's billions of dollars paid by the state and local governments on, when, it, when it comes to the education. 
I, I see that as a problem. I, call, I would call it a fiscal disconnect. Uh, then the question is, well, how do you address that economic problem? And it's a real one. And, and I would say it doesn't work to close the borders. Um, what, it, what, it, what you should do is that you should have governors um, who are negotiating with the federal government uh, to get some revenue helping them out pay for the local cost of immigration. Because if you, if you believe, and I do believe this, that immigration is something for the federal government to have power over and not the states, then it should be the federal government that helps the states deal with the local cost of immigration. Um, and, and so some governors uh, have been successful in negotiating with the federal government for monies to help pay for education in K-12. through And there are other costs, emergency services. Um, Go- Governor Schwarzenegger um, did, was able to, to, to secure some from President Bush. Uh, um, Bill Richardson in New Mexico was able to secure some. Uh, Janet Napolitano, when she's governor of Arizona, was able to secure some. I, I would argue, rather than ar- trying to close the border or passing laws like Arizona's SB 1070, what you should be doing is asking your leaders to negotiate with the federal government for support for the cost of immigration. Um, but those two costs, I think, are you know, um, uh, you know the, the impact on, uh, on uh, low-skilled workers and the, co- the impact on state and local governments are important costs that should be addressed. Um, but but they, I don't think you address them by trying to build a bigger fence or give Border Patrol officers bigger guns. Um, you, you address it by, by, by being practical. Oh. I'm sorry. Um, what's the dialogue like between the U.S. government and the Mexican government? Yeah, that's a good question. What responsibility do they actually take to change the economic situation that is so dire that Yeah, no, that's a good question. Some people would say, and actually I have a colleague, Cruz Renesso, who's on the California Supreme Court, he, he argues this a lot, and I, and I understand his argument. He says, <coughs> excuse me, uh, Mexico will stop sending migrants to the United States when the Mexican economy improves enough so that Mexicans don't want to leave. Uh, and there's an, a, an inherent truth to that. Uh, and um, then the question is, whose fault is it that the Mexican economy is floundering for the poorest and doing well for the, and, you know, for, for, the, for the richest. Uh, some would say we in the United States are in part responsible for it because of the North American Free Trade Agreement that has increased, increased wealth disparities in, in Mexico and has increased migration pressures. Others would say uh, the problem is with the Mexican government that's a, um, got all kinds of political problems of its own, and own when it comes to, 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 to you know, having... Uh, law enforcement that works and it's not corrupt and, and they, have, you know, they have their own issues. Um, so, so there's some finger pointing that goes both ways and I think there's probably some joint culpability. Uh, at the same time, um, uh, some people would say, well, the Mexican government should do what it can to keep its citizens from leaving, including using force when necessary to keep people in the country. Uh, at, well, we generally don't Look kindly on that. When Cuba tries to keep Cubans in Cuba, uh, we complain a lot about that. We say that's political repression. You can't do that. Uh, and, and, and when it comes to you know, Mexico, they're correct when they say we're bound by a number of international agreements to let our people migrate if they want. Uh, and it, for them, they also benefit because it's a safety valve. They can stop political pressures if the most unhappy people leave. And, and, and that, you know, a related point is 
Um, one of the saviors of the Mexican economy the last 10 years has been remit- remittances of money from uh, Mexican nationals who live in this country sending money to home uh, into family uh, in their, and, and to what are tall, called hometown clubs in their villages, in their homes. Uh, that's a huge benefit to the Mexican economy. So they have some interest in allowing their people to, to leave. But I think it is a very complicated issue. Um, I, I don't think it's an easy one, but I, I do think that there's something to be said um, you know, for, for some culpability by both governments. It's their responsibility. Uh, I, I do think that it's not, I mean, it's not all Mexico's fault or all the United States' fault. I do think um, that if we as a nation really want to, um, to, to limit migration from Mexico, uh, sort of promoting economic development and promoting infrastructure in Mexico uh, it would be a good thing. It's very difficult politically to do because Americans don't even like to spend money in America on, on infrastructure, uh, much less spending it in a foreign country. Um, so it's, it's a difficult thing. But I, I do think that's economic development in the long run is going to decrease those pressures. I just recently returned from Dubai, and I spoke to quite a few different expatriates, and I was wondering if something like that would ever be feasible here in the United States, because nobody's allowed in unless they have a sponsor who can give them a job and they have a place for them. Is that something that could happen here, or is it because it's a completely different economic system over there? That's what we have in our current laws. Um, yes, everybody has to have a sponsor. Uh, everybody has, every sponsor has to guarantee that if the person receive, you know, needs income, that they will supply 125% of the poverty level income to that person. Um, but it's, it's easier, you know, easier said than to enforce. Uh, that's the way I'll put it. But that's, the, that's our current system. Why hasn't it been enforced? Are they, is it because they're just crossing the border or because nobody tracks them down after their permits expire or whatever? Well, uh, because actually, part of it is because it's very difficult to enforce given the large numbers you're dealing with, uh, and given the minimal penalties that you can impose. Um, and part of it is there hasn't been the will to enforce it either. Um, but, but you know, that's. I mean, that's. We currently do have a sponsor system. Uh, I mean, employers probably are held accountable a little bit more. Uh, it, I mean, we also have a slightly larger commitment to rights than many other countries. Uh, for example, if, if, if somebody comes and immigrates to work for an employer, uh, gets an, you know, Paul Gasol goes work for the Lakers, uh, he, he can decide at some point, I don't want to work for the Lakers, I want to go play for the Kings. Um, I'm going to go up, go up there, or I'm going to go do some other job. I want to be a paper boy. Um, whatever he wants to do, and we, we don't say you have to stay with the Lakers forever because that's your employer who sponsored you. Uh, we, we, we tend to have a, an idea that people have freedom uh, to make those kinds of economic decisions themselves. Uh, that's not necessarily the case in other countries where they say, well, you know, you came here to work for employer X, you work for employer X, or you get deported. Hi. Um, I wanted to see if you have, like, an amnesty proposal for people who have been here for quite a few years, and how does that look, um, if you can explain? Yeah, well... The last few bills in Congress that have dealt with, they don't call it amnesty because so many people get worked up, 
Um, they called it an earned legalization. They, it, it, some of them have been very generous in terms of date, been you know, you know, like you know, January 1st, 2011. Um, if you've been here since January 1st, 2011, you, you paid all your back taxes, you, you pay, paid um, uh, a penalty, maybe it's $1,000, uh, and you, you, know, you show you don't have a criminal record. Um, then uh, you, you know you could you become if you do the paperwork you can become legal. The criminal record issue is a, is a, actually a big one because it's likely that any criminal conviction uh, will make it impossible. And we're talking DUIs probably make it impossible to get um, uh, any kind of legalization. That's not my proposal. That's the kinds that have been floating around in Congress. Um, but those, I mean, the taxes, the penalty. Uh, some of them if it also uh, require that you go back to your home country for, for at least a few hours uh, before re-entering the country and becoming legal. Um, but one of the things I think it's fair to say is, is that some Republicans who oppose immigration reform um, want to make the amnesty as difficult as possible um, and as, include as many penalties as possible. Um, and, and so that's been one of the rubs to this point is that we did have, I mean, we've had a number of experience with amnesties, but the last big one was in 1986 with the Immigration Reform and Control Act. Uh, and that uh, basically set a date, and I think it was, I can't remember the date, but it was within a year or two of the passage of the law. It said if you lived in the United States as of that date, and there's reasons to have it just one date as opposed to saying five years or anything like that. Because if you, if you say a fixed period of time, if you're in this country five years, then, then you're going to have a lot of people. You know, if you're living undocumented, sometimes it's hard to show you were, and you're not getting pay stubs and things like that. It's hard to establish that you were in fact here. And that was actually one of the issues with the last um, Immigration Act. So they're trying to make it a little bit easier evidentiary-wise on, on undocumented immigrants. But those are the basic things. And there's a lot of debate about whether the penalty paid should be $1,000 or $10,000 or, you know, a lot of money, which would be very tough for some families to pay.